Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. Thanks, Jake, sporting our undefeated soccer team. We have yet to taste defeat, like even remotely, as a soccer city. Does anybody care? I thought you guys would love soccer. You don't like sports. I thought you would love soccer. All right, kids, uh, elevate. They're like, yeah, let me out. Uh, if you want to head out, you can. You got the Nevilles this morning, tending to your spiritual needs. Uh, the rest of us are going to hang in here and uh, go through the Beatitudes. You know, and, and we're going to finish up the Beatitudes today. And there's so much, um, when you sit down and think about the Beatitudes, which is, this is Jesus' opening, like, opening push here in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and you hear those, and you just kind of walk through them, and you're like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I dare you to try to sit down and write a sermon on those. Because the nuances and the difficulties and the, the well, okay, but, uh, but there's this over here. Like, it's all over the place. And something else that I thought was interesting, um, have, you ever, have you ever read, like, he starts off, and they're like, he opened up his mouth and, and taught them? And uh, at first I was like, probably unnecessary to say that, but Jesus has taught them without opening his mouth. He has done these things. He's proclaimed the kingdom of heaven, but he's also done this by healing, by welcoming. Uh, he, will, he will show compassion and mercy. Uh, and so that's a common statement uh, to make uh, in that day. He opened up his mouth. That's like, you know, when we get here and say, you know, uh, if any of you are here today, and you're like, the only reason you would hear me is if you're here today. So um, that was common. But even there, we have seen Jesus teach and uh, demonstrate his power and authority without opening his mouth. His mouth. So this morning we're going to finish the Beatitudes. Uh, and again, this is how Matthew starts his recollection, his telling of Jesus, most, the most um, comprehensive uh, uh, sermon, collection of teaching and preaching that we have of Jesus is Matthew's account of the Sermon on the Mount. And we've said this, Jesus is talking, specifically he's talking to his disciples, but he is also talking to Jewish people. This is, uh, th this is the Jewish people who have gathered to hear him. Uh, and Matthew is recording Jesus' words to the Jewish people. So that's all important. That doesn't mean it doesn't have anything to say to us, but it also means that when we read the accounts that Matthew gives us, we have to understand who he was talking to, what he was saying, and then what do we have in common with them, and that can be really, really helpful. Um, and uh, and Jesus is, is starting off his sermon here by saying, who are those who are blessed? Uh, or who is the one who is blessed? What, is, what does that look like? There's lots of different ways to read the Beatitudes. But blessing here, what we've talked about is those who experience God's presence and his favor, that God's hand is upon him. This is not, we're going to say this over and over again, this is not a list of virtues that are out there for you to accomplish because God loves virtuous people. 
Okay? Now, at the same time, this is good news to those who are, uh, it's good news to those who are poor, to those who are humble, to those who are weak, grieved, surrendered, desperate for God's good creation to be present in themselves and in the world around them. Um, and, uh, and they are being moved toward becoming a wounded healer to be able to tell the truth about themselves, receive God's mercy and healing, and then moving toward uh, uh, what we're going to talk about this week. So these are areas that, as followers of Jesus, we want to continue to press into, but not because, not because uh, if we become virtuous and we do these things, God rewards the virtuous. It's because those who are weak and poor and who are on the outside, who are humble of heart, this is good news to you. God's presence is with you. God loves you. Those who have had an experience with Jesus and feel like, if I've had this experience, shouldn't things be better? And this is God's promise. I am the hope that you're looking for. Does that make sense? I don't, I, I won't, okay. I'm just going to take the four nodding heads I saw and <laughs> count that. It will round up. Um, so this week is going to complete this list. And again, there's lots of different ways that we can see the Beatitudes. Uh, some commentators have grouped them into um, three different groups. Uh, the, the first three, the middle three, and the last three, which is perfect. We'll go with that because that's how we preached them. Some have said this is, a, this is a, an ascending list or even a descending list, that if you are uh, poor uh, in material and humble of heart, that that produces in you, and, and then it kind of goes down as, as, as this is kind of a progressive list that then after a hunger and thirst for righteousness produces acts of mercy and, uh, and the desire for peace. So there's lots of different ways. I think on the overarching theme, basically what we're seeing here is God is saying those who are blessed in his economy are not like any other economy that we have on earth. The people who experience the presence of God, it's not what we have known or experienced in any other way. Nobody would go in for a job interview in our day and say, here's why you should, here's why you should accept me. I'm poor in spirit. I'm meek. If you're looking for a meek salesman. Um, and so the economy of God looks different. And this is how he is starting this. And so this morning, I, this, we kind of get into this, uh, blessed are the peacemakers. And I struggled to come up with an example of this, this week of, of a peacemaker uh, who suffered for their faith uh, and, and for their labor. And it's, it's difficult to come up with one, not because it's difficult to come up with one, but because it's difficult to come up with one. There's so many there are so many stories, heard and unheard. I mean, Mother Teresa, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Corey Ten Boom, Martin Luther King, Bishop Tutu, uh, Desmond Tutu. These are some of the ones that we know and can name in recent history. And then there are millions who have suffered for their faith that are seen by God, heroes of the faith, but are not known to us. Um, it's very likely that most of us in, our, in this room will at some point in time... Uh, if you are followers of Jesus, that we will have the distinct possibility of having to labor for peace, whether that is in intimate relationships, friendships, 
uh, office space, uh, political means, social commentary, whatever, that we will have to labor, labor as peacemakers. We may or may not, however, ever be really persecuted for it. We might be marginalized, we might be ignored, we might lose friendships, we may be talked about behind our back, and those things are painful and they're hurtful. And if that's you, then Jesus has a word for you, uh, that there is hope. And it's not in appeasing other people, and it's not, it's in, in the presence of his peace. So this morning, we're going to look at the peacemakers. We're hungry. I get it. It's an hour. And uh, congratulations, all of you guys making it on time. That's a victory already. Um, so we're going to look at peacemaker and those who experience persecution for pursuing righteousness and for claiming the name of Jesus. So first, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Um, here again, Jesus is, and what's important to remember here, Jesus is speaking to a Jewish community, um, but also the people that he is speaking to are under heavy oppression. It, it, they are not, Christians are not the cultural norm for a long time. Uh, Christians are not the presumed either cultural uh, authority or, or anything in that way. And for Jews specifically, they're under the, uh, the authority of Roman rule. And here's the deal, Roman rule was fine. Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Rome promised peace as long as you got on board with what Rome believed. If you believed in the Roman gods, you worshipped the Roman emperor, you had zero qualms about following all of the Roman pagan rituals, and of course giving money to Rome was good, uh, but if you did not believe that the Roman emperor was divine, and that worshipping him would be a direct violation of the god that you worshipped, um, and the commands of that god, then it was a lot harder to live under Roman rule. Um, and you did not wish to participate in the Roman worship festivals, which got a bit uh, raunchy by present day standards. And taxes, you pay money, I mean, we all pay taxes, all right? That's just something you deal with. But Jews in that day probably were dealt, had much harsher taxes because of their beliefs. So people of Israel, they wanted peace. They wanted their own nation again. They wanted to be able to worship their God according to their laws. They wanted, uh, they want, honestly, what every single one of us wants. Safety and security for me and for the people I care about. Right? That's ultimately, in this world, that's ultimately what we want. Um... That's what drives a lot of us. And sometimes it's not necessarily the peace and safety for me and for the people I care about. Uh, sometimes what that gets poked on is the fear of not having that. And so our fears get preyed upon a lot. Uh, and what was happening in Jesus' day, um, there was a movement that had uh, arisen in Jesus' day called the Zealots. One of Jesus' own disciples, Simon, not Simon Peter, Simon the Zealot, was a Zealot. Uh, and the Zealots wanted peace by, uh, they were consumed to incite the people of Judea 
toward violent rebellion, overthrowing their Roman oppressors. Uh, the rabbis were actually in complete, a complete disagreement with the zealots. Rabbi Hillel taught that faithful Jews in Jesus' day should be disciples of Aaron, loving and pursuing peace, and loving people and drawing them near to the Torah. The rabbis often referred to the, the Jewish zealots as non-religious Jews. These were the non-religious. And the zealots, because of their violent devotion at all costs to overthrow, to get back the Holy Land, to have their own nation, they referred to themselves as the sons of God and that they were going to bring about this kingdom. They were going to reinstill the kingdom of Israel. And Jesus had different thoughts about who would be the sons of God, that who should be called the sons of God. It's the peacemakers. People who are so moved and steadied by a peace with God that they're not so easily swayed by the world around them. So what does it mean to be a peacemaker? I'm going to tell you this is a lot harder than I thought it would be. I was like, yeah. And I'm like, well, no. Uh, no. Uh, all right. So what does it mean to be a peacemaker? Scott McKnight in his commentary suggests that a peacemaker is not just nice nor tolerant, by, uh, both as defined by today, but a peacemaker is one who enters into a warring situation and calls for reconciliation. So on the one hand, a peacemaker is not somebody who just avoids conflict. Uh, who just is like, let's just separate out and, and not have to deal with any of this. But on the other hand, a peacemaker is not somebody who's just constantly instigating conflict. The motive of a peacemaker is reconciliation. It's not conflict avoidance. It's not self-vindication. It's not vengeance. I'm caught on something back here. All right. Um, the hope, the, the, the end goal is, is, is reconciliation. It's not, nor is it personal safety or comfort. It's reconciliation. And being a peacemaker is costly. In fact, Paul, in, in one of my favorite liturgies of, in uh, the book of Colossians, Jesus made peace by the blood of his cross. And that being a peacemaker often involves getting bloody. Hopefully metaphorically, but not always. To forgive, to step in between hard conversations, to work toward reconciliation. This is not always what people want. And it can be easy for the messenger to become the prey. So these last three, they kind of flow together. We're going to spend most of, most of our time on what does it mean to be a peacemaker and then just why, when you're persecuted for that. Um, but they all kind of fit together. What is glorious in this is that we might ever be able to know and feel the experience of what has been achieved through Christ's left, uh, life, death, and resurrection. And that is reconciliation with God himself. Peace with God. That is what's glorious. 
What's hard about this is that when we are bound to God, when we are reconciled to him, when we bear his image in this world, then we necessarily bind ourselves to having to care about his good creation. And we, bound, we bind ourselves to having to care about this world around us. And a lot of times it's easier just not to. And so we get peace with God, which is glorious and far better. But we are also bound to having to care about the world and go into hard places to plead for forgiveness and justice and reconciliation and peace. And not just go, hey, who's in charge? Rome? All right. Pax Romana. Let's enjoy that for a bit. And we do this the way that Jesus did and what, how Jesus entered this world. He didn't, like, remain far off and say, I pick those people and, and not those people. He incarnated. He came into his own and his own did not receive him. He hung out with sinners and tax collectors. He got rejected by his friends. He got abandoned. He became one of his creation. And that's our hope. And that's also our call. And this is hard. And here's the thing. I don't, I don't know that I can just stand up here and give you definitive answers of this is how you are a peacemaker. This is what you should do and this is what you should not do. And in fact, and I'll get to this at the end, I think God does most of his work in the midst of the battle of that very question. But the end goal is reconciliation, shalom, the peace and presence of God. That's the end goal, but that's also the promise. And Jesus tell us, tells us that peacemakers in this fight already have God's blessing, his presence, his peace. So there's a lot of stories, uh, and I'll share some extreme stories here, and then we can work our way back. Um, and uh, to kind of go, what, is it, what does it look like? Uh, Corey Ten Boom. Um, along with her brothers and sisters and her father. Uh, they were arrested in Belgium. Uh, they were arrested for helping to conceal Jews in Nazi-controlled Belgium. Uh, and they were eventually taken to concentration camps where she was the lone survivor. Her story is beautifully told, powerfully shared in the book, The Hiding Place. Um, and she watched her sister be tortured and killed in the concentration camp. Her sister died only a few days before Corey herself was released. After the war, she gathered with a support group of people who had also been through that and experienced a measure of communal healing uh, with others who had survived. And then she became a missionary traveling the world and talking about God's forgiveness. And in 19, uh, 1947, shortly after the war was over, she went to a church in Germany and immediately recognized a, a heavy-set, balding man in the corner of the church as one of the guards who was in her, um, uh, her prison camp. And afterwards, the man approached her. And this is the story as she tells it. Tells it. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he didn't remember me. 
But since that time, he went on, I've become a Christian and I know God has forgiven me for the cruel things that I did there. But I would love to hear it from you, from your lips as well. Fräulein, his hand came out. Would you forgive me? And I stood there. I whose sins had every day to be forgiven. And I could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me, it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I'd ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I know that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me. I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me, and as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. And I had never known God's love so intensely as I did in that moment. Hopefully and prayerfully, that's never a situation that any of us will find ourselves in. Uh, but nevertheless, the call to forgiveness and reconciliation is the same call. And we've experienced hurts and wounds much less than that, that many of us have, withhold, have withheld forgiveness. And not only there, but we also see how easily throughout history and even recent history, how easily the church in America can be co-opted toward political movements and figureheads. And who knows what might be called upon us to forgive? One of the challenging issues of being a peacemaker in our day Again, Christianity is the dominant religion. I don't think it's the dominant cultural thought right now, but it is and has been the dominant cultural religion in the West for a very long time. Jesus called his disciples and followers to be peacemakers. It was from a position of, cult of being culturally oppressed. In most of the world today, Christianity is still easily the most persecuted religion worldwide. We might experience marginalization, but it's foolish to suggest that we are persecuted at this point in our history, especially in the same ways that Christians around the world are persecuted. And, and what can be hard from that perspective? How then are we peacemakers? How do we operate with humility? How do we hold a position of cultural power where we actually can dictate morals and laws based on our religion and our convictions but also be a force of resisting the world and loving our neighbors and being peacemakers. It's complicated. I don't think it's an easy task 
to do that. Jesus didn't write this in a democracy. But here's some interesting things. It was the concept of being peacemakers uh, and the parable that Jesus would tell about the wheat and the tares that actually inspired a man named Richard Overton, who was an Anabaptist in 1647, to write the first extensive document on human rights. This is the first time somebody actually asked for and called for the separation of church and state. And if you think about it, all throughout history, religion was the state. And the state was religion. And it was an Anabaptist, a devout follower of Jesus, who said, this shouldn't be so. Catholics, Protestants, Jews, Muslims should not be discriminated against by the state. And there should not be a state church. Here's some of the convictions that he wrote. Religious and civil liberty for all, including the rights of freedom from coercion in religion, from governmental establishment of religion, and from taxation for religion. The right to dignity and community, including the right of everyone to associate together in a church of their choice, and in voting for a government that is responsive to the people and the common good. It was weird to think about. I mean, in 1647, he made it legal to be a heretic. We hear that and we're like, duh, duh, it's part of being a good human. And that's because we don't know history very well. It's not valued in our culture. We think all of time in history has given us us, right? And we don't always appreciate how we got here. And we see all the bad parts of Christianity, and there's plenty. There's plenty in its history. There's also some, some glorious beauty, and a lot of the things that we value culturally, culture in our entire culture come from followers of Jesus. And this was a radical thought, and Overton was compelled by the words of Jesus, blessed are the peacemakers. He realized you can't legislate a relationship with Jesus. In our individual relationships, work environments, communal voices, efforts, politics, on and on and on, God's blessing is on those who long and advocate for peace and for reconciliation. In a, in a very personal level, like we see Corey Tim Boom and how like massive that was in a, in a personal level. This is a, a relationship that Allison and I went, uh, went through um, several years ago, a friend of ours. Uh, and she found out that her husband was having an affair. And as she went and talked to other friends in the group, all wanting to be very helpful, just piled on. What a piece of trash. What a loser. What a, and, and, and I get it. And we do that. And I get it. <laughs> and they were defending her, believing they were helping. And again, I get that. But here's what I've seen is so often the person who has been wounded is kind of left to deal with that. A lot of times the wounder, especially if they're not repentant, sometimes the wounder just moves on. And the wounded, who didn't do anything wrong, is left with this mountain of resentment and bitterness that their friends, in wanting to be helpful, just help to pile on deeper and deeper. And so when she came to us, what we told her, we, I said, I'm, I'm really sorry, and what he did was wrong. 
It was terrible. It was incredibly hurtful. And we want to support you. We want to encourage you. But we're not going to trash him because we don't want to fill you with bitterness. We want good for you. Ultimately, we want good for him. And we want to help in whatever you need. We did not want to fuel her hurt. We wanted to give her space to express it and to vent and to be open about that. But our hope eventually for her was to fuel hope, to be able to trust again. And I, I have often encouraged people who are hurt that eventually you're going to need to forgive. You're going to need to work toward forgiveness. And listen, that's not my first comment. That's not how I start the conversation. But it's in there. Because what might not have been your fault can eventually take over your life. And you can become consumed by that. And I'm willing to bet more of us, more of the ways that we hurt people are functioning out of a hurt or wound that we haven't dealt with. And then the cycle continues. A peacemaker is one who has been and is being reconciled to God. That he is their peace, and because of this, they're able to work toward reconciliation. And when I'm saying reconciliation, I don't mean manipulation. Hey, let's just forget about this whole thing and let it pass. I don't mean um, simply water under the bridge, pacifying the situation. Uh, I also don't mean bitterness or resentment or vengeance. And reconciliation does not deny the need for justice, uh, earthly justice. But to be able to walk and move toward reconciliation in really hard places. And yes, there are times when actively working toward peace and reconciliation will be the cause of rejection and maybe even persecution. When you ask people with power to be humble, to acknowledge their wrong and to make restitution, they're not always in favor of that. When you ask people who have been deeply hurt to be willing to offer costly forgiveness, to forfeit the power of vengeance and revenge, they're not always on board with that. And not only do we ask this of others as we are peacemakers, but we also, this is what we labor on internally, to live this out where we might be at fault. So the last two, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so, so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I think these are pretty similar, and there's, and I'm not going to touch on this, but there's, there's some... Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, and when they revile, uh, revile you and persecute you, uh, falsely on my account. This is not, like we're never called to seek out persecution. We're never called to be jerks. We're never called to be, you know, that's not my fault. I spoke my truth. Um, I would say if you're doing that, you're failing at being a peacemaker. Seeking out persecution is failing to be a peacemaker. Um, but suffering for the sake of righteousness and suffering for the sake of Jesus are very similar. Following Jesus will lead us to suffer for pursuing righteousness. And we've got to give the definition of righteousness one more time. 
When Jesus talked about righteousness, he did not just talk about our personal behavior. He was talking about the Torah, the law, which is communal righteousness. The good of not just me, but the good of the world around me. In all aspects of behavior, of systems of justice, all of those things. They were not neatly divided out. It's the whole. Um, and so being a proactive peacemaker when it comes to issues of justice will often uh, be the call of defending and advocating for those who are weaker culturally, economically, socially. The charges against Jesus were often that he was going into the house of sinners and tax collectors. He was hanging out with people he shouldn't be hanging out with. He faced persecution from his own religious leaders. He also faced persecution from Roman officials. He's comforting his disciples and teaching. If they're going to follow him, they're going to face backlash. But take heart. Be comforted. Because in following me, the kingdom of heaven is yours. Um, all right. We're going to land the plane here. Uh, in our current climate, I think persecution is hard, is hard to measure. Um, and maybe persecution on behalf of righteousness and persecution on behalf of Jesus uh, is potentially even harder to measure because everybody's doing Jesus' will, right? And everybody is righteous in their endeavors in all sides, in all ways. So how do we know? Persecution is not a badge of honor. Again, it's not something that we go out and seek. And it's a weird day in many categories. Uh, this is weird to me. If we are able, and apply it wherever you need to apply it, but if we're able to cry out that we're being persecuted in order to gain a following of like-minded people, Christian or non, it's just a weird dynamic. Does that make sense? Like it's a weird dynamic where we can go, I'm being persecuted so that all of these people can come and we can fight. I don't, I don't, um, and I'm not sure how all that fits into what Jesus calls his followers to do. Here's a freeing factor for me. The call that you and I face, love people in the name of Jesus because we have been reconciled. To experience his blessing in his presence. We don't get to judge the hearts of others. We get to know the presence of the one who has not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So go, we'll go back to World War II. Famous German pastor, theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Saw the writing on the wall early in the manipulation of the church by the Fuhrer. Bonhoeffer, who was already a well-known author, he wrote Life Together, he wrote The Cost of Discipleship, working on a book on Christian ethics as he was leading the underground seminary to help German followers of Jesus make sure that Jesus alone was the one that they worshipped and not Jesus and state. And he helped to form the Confessing Church and all this stuff would be pressed even further. He was a pacifist and then he was talked into joining the Nazi resistance. He was a pacifist and, and devoutly nonviolent, and even wrestled with and eventually came to the conclusion to take part even in a potential assassination plot. His thoughts were complex, 
Eventually he was arrested, spent two years in prison, pastoring fellow prisoners, corresponding with his family and his friends. Eventually even those letters were taken and put, in, put into a book. And he had some incredible and sometimes even puzzling thoughts on God, the God who would suffer and call us to suffer. Bonhoeffer was hanged roughly one month before the Germans surrendered. And his testimony, even in his death, was one who had been reconciled to God. Christianity Today puts it, uh, put this in an article. A decade later, after Bonhoeffer was killed, a camp doctor who witnessed Bonhoeffer's hanging described the scene. The prisoners were taken from their cells. The verdicts of the court-martial read it out to them. Through the half-open door in one room of the huts, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer, before taking off his prison garb, kneeling on the floor, praying fervently to his God. And I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed, so devout and so certain that God heard his prayer. And at the place of execution, he again said a prayer and then climbed the steps to the gallows, brave and composed. His death ensued in a few seconds. In the almost 50 years that I have worked as a doctor, I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. We can look at some of these huge examples and kind of work our way backwards. Office grudges, friendships, relationships, parents, kids, siblings. But hear me on this, there's no simple formula to being a peacemaker and the potential of facing backlash. There are no shortcuts. And again, I think the finishing work happens in the midst of the battle. The victory happens in the fight. The promise of God is his blessing as you fight for peace, not if you fight for peace. Um, So, <laughs> I, when I started thinking through and writing out Peacemaker, this was really simple. And even here, I'm like, man, this is really confusing. This is nuanced. Thoughts all over the place. And it's a complicated world that demands that you take a side. And I want to tell you, taking the side of Jesus will never allow you to pull up a comfortable chair to any of the other tables that are set. Political tables, hashtag tables, movements, even Christian hashtag movements. It's hard. Following Jesus will never allow us to pull up a comfortable chair, a chair apart from him to any of these tables. And I kind of think that's how it's supposed to be. The promise is not for a kingdom of man. The promise is for the kingdom of God. That, that presence, that blessing. Our battle is not for safety in this world. For the follower of Jesus, our battle is internal. It is that we would actually trust and believe that we could have peace with God through the work and labor of Jesus.
And I think God will use friendships, hurts, wounds, cultural issues, social media posts, political polls to the left and right, hashtags all over the place, to practice this and press in on this, to love people in every arena in the way that Christ has loved us. So here's the practice for this week. I'm going to give you the same thing that I've given you the last few weeks. Read through the Beatitudes. This is Jesus proclaiming good news straight out of Isaiah. Good news uh, to this list and anyone who might fall on this list. And so read through the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 1 through 12, and ask again, why and how is this good news for me? What do I need to hear? Don't presume that. Let it dig a little bit. Let it mess with us a little bit. And then uh, I want to give you a prayer that we're going to work on. Uh, It's probably a good prayer to memorize, or at least to write down and have in your arsenal. Uh, A prayer that would ask for devotion and dedication. It's the prayer of St. Francis Assisi, the prayer of peace. I think we got it on the, we got it up. So as we close today, let's pray this together. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Let's pray. God. Have mercy. So many jumbled thoughts. I pray that you would make sense of them. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts and our minds. The calling to follow you is not easy. It is glorious. It is not easy. It is filled with hope and encouragement, and you've promised not to leave us. But never do you promise that it is easy. Forgive us for wanting easy. Forgive me for wanting easy. And may I wrestle with, have I said too much or have I not said enough? Have I loved well or have I been too harsh? Am I seeking peace or am I seeking appeasement? Help us to wrestle through those things, to feel your presence in the midst of the battle and your hand of blessing, not on our accomplishments, not not once we've gotten it down, not in our standoffishness or our vengeance, but in wrestling through poverty of spirit, surrendered hearts, grieving spirits, a hunger and thirst that the world would be made right. A pure focus and eyes that our hope is on you and you alone. 
to, to actually make internal war to present reconciliation and peace in our own hearts and through anything and everything we do. Our promise is not what we can attain in this world, but it is the presence of God. It's your presence in, in everything and then the hope of eternity. So do more with all of these than we, could, than we could ask or fathom. And I pray that you would continue to work. Soften us, humble us. Um, this is not weakness, this is strength. And we ask for your strength in Jesus' name, amen. Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.